Welcome back to Finding Wilder, the podcast. My name is Michaela Jean, and I am so grateful you have landed here. I created this podcast as a safe space to share stories of intuitive living, spirituality, creativity, dreams coming true, miracles, and so much more. One of my greatest goals in this lifetime is to remind one another we are not alone in whatever it is we are going through. To me, finding wilder means living a life that is led from the heart and intuition. It is easy to get caught up in what or who we think the world says we should be. I'm passionate about sharing stories that prove to one another that when we find our wild, listen to our hearts, and trust in something beyond ourselves, we begin to witness miracles unfold all around us. I'm here to share experiences from my own life and the lives of those who inspire me along the way. I hope you remember how worthy you are and that your dreams can come true. Thanks for being here. Let's dive into another episode of Finding Wilder. All right, welcome back to Finding Wilder. This is episode 40. I am Michaela Jean. Thank you so, so, so much for being here and listening. I am super excited about today's guest, a dear friend and one of my favorite people, one of the most inspiring people in my life. I am really excited for this conversation and really excited to introduce Dr. Crystal Couture here in Portsmouth. Crystal is, gosh, so much, a holistic PT, a licensed acupuncturist, but like a million other things. You're one of the most educated people I know, just constantly expanding your education and experiences here as a human. So why don't you just share a little bit about who you are and the work that you're doing right now? I mean, what an intro. (laughs) Thank you. I'm just glowing. That was so beautiful. Um, Yeah, so I'm a holistic PT and an acupuncturist in Portsmouth. Um, You know, my calling is really to help people to heal, dive in deep to their own selves and acknowledge what's happening on all levels, body, mind, spirit, and emotion, and just move through, sit in, um, dive past whatever it takes to just feel like they're their best selves. Yeah, I love that. And I feel that all to be so true. I We met, I think it's coming up on like seven years at this point. I think you're right. Which is wild <laughs> to me. <laughs> and I was just kind of thinking about like, before we hopped on this call, like what... Like, for me, what has been, like, the biggest takeaway from, like, acupuncture and just the medicine that has been coming to see you and do acupuncture pretty regularly for the last almost seven years? And I think it's just been this, like, this ability to super charge and expand my ability to just trust myself and the universe and my body and spirit and mind and all of those things that you just said. It's just like this, yeah, I've really tapped into this expansion of trust. And it's been, I mean, you've seen me in pretty much every possible place I could be as a human. And to learn to trust all of those different days and emotions and relationships and experiences of life and 
many of them not easy spaces to be in, but to have that deep trust to keep coming back to has been life-changing for me. And I wonder Mm -hmm. if you see that in yourself, in the work that you do, if you could talk about that concept of just like trust a little bit. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, one of my teachers, her name is Sandra Lilly. She's passed on now. Um, And I think one of the most potent things she ever said to me was that acupuncture is going to bring you closer to you. Mm -hmm. And that's always like really struck me as something profound and something that I want to hold as an intention when someone is you know, with me and on the table. Um, I feel so honored that you felt that, you know, this has been such a space, a safe space for you to, to really explore that trust. Um, so thank you for, for that honor of, you know, allowing my hands, allowing my needles to serve you. Um, I, I guess the key to trust is, you know, if we think about Chinese medicine, we have these five elements. We have um, the wood element, the fire element, the earth element, the metal element, and water. And water is where trust lives um, in the kidneys and in the bladder. And trust is really visceral. It's, you know, it's sort of that lower jaw or lower chakra area of our body. It's where um, we really feel a resonance of the universe of the ground of the earth. And it's what serves us to be able to lean in or not to trust. It's also really linked to our reproductive systems. So it, and then of course, it's also linked to the essence of who we are. So it's very deep in Chinese medicine where this essence of trust comes from. And of course it makes sense when we sort of start to distill this as to why trust might be difficult for some of us to achieve. Yeah, that's, I'm just like laughing. Not that I need to, we don't need to make this conversation like a healing ceremony for Michaela, but I was just like laughing as you're talking about water. And I just like remember, and water being so connected to trust and that element. And I just like remember laying on your table one day, just being like, because the most random things will shoot through my head when I'm laying there. And I just remember one day being like, oh my gosh, I understand why I named my dog River. He's teaching me how to flow with life. (laughs) Oh, yes. That's what the water element does. And, you know, water imbalance is exactly that. It teaches us the flow with life. It teaches us to trust. It allows us to be fearless when we need to be fearless. And allows us to have fear when we have to protect ourselves. Um, Of course, when water is out of balance, it does all the opposite of those things where we can be overly fearful or under trusting, or we can be fearless in situations where we shouldn't be, um, or water can just spill over everywhere and be uncontained. And, you know, that that can be like this diary of the mouth kind of thing. Mm. Um, So it's, it's so important to find balance. And it's so cool that river um (laughs) came in to teach you about the water element and and work with this facet of trust as trust being one of your emotions that you want to spend more time getting to know and understand and acknowledge and lean into yeah that's so beautiful okay so i want to just like step back a little to kind of like ground into this a bit and i'm wondering if you can talk just a little briefly about each element in Chinese medicine and like what each one kind of represents, kind of like you just did with water a little bit. And then I'm wondering if there is an element that you're seeing 
like globally or just with your clients that is really showing up the most, either in a positive or a negative way? And yeah, just tap into that a little bit. Okay, so that is a multifaceted question. Yeah. So let's start with the elements. So the easiest way to think about the elements is to actually start thinking about them in coordination with the seasons. So, um, you know, here in the Northern Hemisphere, we're coming up on spring. And spring is really the wood element. It's the energy of bursting forth. It's this new growth. It's this new birth. It's greening up. You know, it's the buds coming on the trees. It's the smell of life coming back, right? That's really seasonally where we are. And then um, that's associated with the liver and the gallbladder. That, of course, builds in spring becomes summer at some point, right? And during summer, we're seeing the maturity of those those little buds. So we're seeing the blooms, we're seeing everything at their biggest, brightest, most yang, most energetic phase. And you probably in your body at, at certain points in your life, you can feel that like having the most energy in summer when the sun is really high and the days are long and, you know, it just feels good. Right. Um, and then the sort of next season we call in Chinese medicine is late summer and that's earth. And so that's kind of that like Indian summertime. Like we don't really know if it's summer. We don't really know if it's fall. It's sort of lingering. It's a little bit humid. Um, earth also serves as our equinoxes and our solstices. So any transition time is going to be the earth element. And earth is really the season where things start the process of being their most ripe, like just before, you know, the peach just at the moment when it's so sweet and so juicy and so perfect, just before it rots, you know, it's it's like that one day period. Um, and that's the earth element serves as this harmony. It serves as its balance point. It's the perfect moment. It's the perfect energy, which is hard to achieve. But, you know, you know it when you've got that peach or that pear or that apple or that tomato, right? They just have that essence to them full of life. And then, of course, we switch into autumn, and autumn is the metal element, lungs in the large intestine, and they really serve as the decline. So we're starting to see um, the leaves falling off the tree, and we're starting to see things kind of coming down, the energy sort of starting to decline pretty intensely. You know, we start to want to spend more time inside. We might still be baking. We might still be working with whatever we've harvested um, for the year. But and we might be sharing those things with others. You know, that sort of essence of Thanksgiving is really wrapped into that metal element. That gratitude is there. Um, value is there. So if we think back to the farmers, you know, in the ancient days, of course, if their silo is full with their hay or, you know, their root cellars are full with produce, that's really a there's a lot of value in that. So value comes from, from that metal element and we start to sort of wind inward. And then of course we go back to winter, winter being the water element as we talked about kidneys and bladder. And that's the most yin time. So the darkest time, the most inward, the less that we are out with people, the more that we are with ourselves, the more sort of comfortable, hopefully, we become when we're getting into essence, when we're getting into who we really are. And if we think back to that seed in spring that's bursting through the ground, winter is all about nourishing that that seed. 
It's about going back to the essence, making sure that we didn't rake up all the leaves in the autumn so that those leaves are actually feeding that seed. So we, we kind of come full circle with the elements. Each one creates another, each one controls another, each one requires the others in order to be at their best and be at their function. Awesome. For somebody who may not understand what yin means, can you touch upon that? Yeah. So, okay. So if we look at yin and yang, so if we think of um, the shortest day of the year, the darkest day of the year, and then we think of our longest day of the year, okay, um, our longest sun time of the of the year. We've got in the dark day, that's yin. That's the the darkness, the feminine, the moon time, the um, going inward time. Whereas yang is that bright, exuberant, outward light. Um, the definition really comes from, and you can see this in the Chinese character of yin and yang, it's yang is going to be the sun side of a hill and yin is going to be that shady side of the hill. Hmm. And again, just like the elements, they're both required in order for us to function. We can't really just be one or the other. Yin has to exist within yang. Yang has to exist within yin. That's why in the image, you know, with the, um, the circle and the two dots and the little squiggle yeah. in the middle, um, you can see, you know, the white, the white side has the black dot. That's yin existing within yang. The opposite side has yang existing within yin. Hmm. It's like the concept of you can't, like when you're in the dark, the light always comes and like you need exactly. a contrast of both. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. Yep. Is yeah. there, so this, as you said, all of these elements really have to do with certain parts of the body. And I want to touch more upon like acupuncture and meridian points and all of that. But just in general, first, is there anything that you're seeing more than others at this time? Yeah, that's a hard question, honestly. Um, It's funny. Some days in practice, I'll see trends. Everybody is coming in with a little bit of an upset, you know, stomach. Um, everybody's coming in with a menstrual cycle that is, you know, too early or too late, something like that. Um, so I do see those trends, but I can't say that one element seems to be the one that pulls us off more than the others. And that's really because in each of us, I think that we, we have a constitutional element. We have the element within us that is going to be our power and our strength and our resonance. And it's also going to be the element that can pull us down. Mm. So for instance, um, if we take the wood element, for instance, the wood element as a constitution is going to produce somebody that is goal oriented, that is driven, that is organized, that is committed, um, that is great at distilling information, that has the right language for everything. And yet they might be um, stubborn Mm. or angry that might be the downfall of it. So, you know, and of course, nothing is black and white. That's that's the key here is there's all of the elements within every person. But if someone has that dominance, we might see all of these great strengths that come from that element. And then a couple of their weaknesses might come um, from that element or irritability might be another one that comes with the wood element. How does somebody know what their dominant element is? Oh, well, that's the, that's the trick, isn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> 
So according to five element acupuncture, which is how I was trained, it actually comes down to color, sound, odor, and emotion. So the color is going to show on the face of the person. So if we go back to this wood element, we'll actually see green um, somewhere within the face. And the odor that's associated with the wood element is going to be um, rancid, sort of a rancid smell, like um, oil uh, oils that have gone, you know, gone too long. Um, if you brought, bought oil in the grocery store at any point, you've probably smelled a rancid oil. Um, so that's the smell. The sound is going to be a shout, um, which often comes across as a bit of a lecture. Um, so someone who is constantly lecturing you, that that may be how to how to find out. Um, and then, of course, the emotion is actually going to be that anger. That's what's going to going to come through as the imbalanced emotion. And that can actually be both um, excess of anger. It can also be lack of anger. So someone that's that's really hurt in a way that should produce anger doesn't. So essentially, the emotion is inappropriate either in excess or deficiency. Um, so it's really hard to know about yourself, um, which element you are. There's quizzes online and all of that stuff. Um, and um, sometimes um, they give accurate information, sometimes they don't. It's it's sort of one of those like tricks in the back pocket of the acupuncturist to know what someone's constitution is. Yeah, so, and it can change, like you said, like, I mean, it's you have a dominant one, yeah. but it can shift. Like I'm just thinking, for example, when I went through a lot of my skin troubles, I remember remember you saying something about my metal element being mm -hmm. too strong or out of balance, and mm -hmm. that makes sense now with you saying this because it has to do with that. With I don't know if it was the color, or yeah. where that comes into play. Yeah. So it, it certain phases of our life are going to evoke certain elements to show up. And that may or may not be the constitution. Um, but, you know, if you were going through and, and without divulging all the details of your life, let's say you were going through a lot of grief at that particular time, going through that, that grief, that, that real visceral hurt, because grief is the emotion of the metal element, it can definitely bring up a symptomology that is associated with an element that may not be your constitution. Hmm. That's fascinating. I'm almost like thinking about for somebody who can relate to like Ayurveda, maybe it's like you have your like Pitta, Kapha, like all of your different aspects of Ayurveda and you have like a, a dominant one, but as you're going through different seasons in your life, one or the other can become more prominent. Absolutely. It can yeah. totally show up in the in similar ways. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's really interesting once you like start to like put these different um, concepts like side by side and you kind of realize there's so many similarities. Mm -hmm. It's just all of these different teachings that, you know, use use different words and come from different histories and lineages and things like that. And it's really it's really fascinating. I mean, these ancient medicines were evolving um, simultaneously in different parts of the world. Before we had cell phones, before we had landlines, certainly before there was internet. And at some point, people would get sick. And when they got sick, somebody, you know, a shaman, a healer, a sage, wanted to help. And so it was naturally built in that there were people who wanted to help in communities and they found different ways to do it. And they used whatever herbs that they had. They used whatever techniques that they had. And so similar things were evolving at similar times, for sure, and all over the world. 
you know? Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about even just like astrology right now, because I've been asking people in this podcast um, just for fun. I'm not like an expert by any means, but I think it's just kind of like it's a fun thing to ask sometimes people's sun, moon and rising signs. And mm-hmm. I've been asking in Western astrology, but I know you also know a bit more about the Chinese Chinese astrology. Chi- yeah. yeah. So I'm yeah. curious if you do you know your sun, moon and rising sign in Western astrology? Oh, I know. Um, so I'm an Aries sun. Yeah. And I'm an Aries one, uh, one of the others. Ah, I can't remember. But I know I'm a double Aries, which is like, you know, <laughs> it's where my fire, it's like my strength, right? It's where my fire comes from. Yeah. And yet it's also where, um, you know, I can get burned out really easily. Um, so I, I definitely see that within myself and that's true of a fire constitution, so to speak in Chinese medicine as well. It just so happens that, um, my day master in Chinese astrology is also a fire element. Mm. Um, and it's particularly that yin fire. So what that means is that I actually have a little bit less, um, fortitude. So if my fire, if I use too much, I can get fatigued. I can get tired, um, more easily and uninspired. Um, Mm -hmm. so that's something to, to know about myself, but yeah, fire does kind of ring true for, um, my Western astrology and my Chinese astrology. I'm fascinated by it. I love the things that clients tell me about Western astrology. I love the things they tell me about Chinese astrology. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, I knew you were an Aries, but I Aries sun, but I didn't know you were double fire. And it almost like surprises me because I can see the fire, but you're also one of the most grounded people that I know. And to like do the work that you do and really sit with people like sharing deep, vulnerable things with you all day long and doing the work that you do all day long. Like there must be like what is your how do you put up a boundaries to keep your own fire like lit and not burnt out? Do you have techniques for that for yourself? Yeah, for sure. I mean, my work, I'm, as you know, I'm really passionate about my work yeah. and the medicine. I love the work. I love the medicine and I, I love my clients. Like I feel so lucky um, and grateful and appreciative on a daily basis because I really do love um, every facet of what I do. And fortunately for me, that does keep the fire going to, um, to some extent. The thing I have to be careful about is I can't be passionate about everything that you're going through. So I have to really distill my passion into where we're going in the healing journey. So if you're coming in hot about, um, uh, some relationship, Right. And it just it it went sour and, you know, you weren't treated right. And you just, you know, you're you're feeling down about it. I can't be passionate about that relationship for you or with you. I can't lean into the empathy. I can be, you know, totally compassionate and totally sit there and hear and listen and understand and ask good questions. The key is to not get into, for me, having that those fire elements, to not get into that passion. Because as soon as I get into the passion, then I'm crossing a boundary. I'm no longer interfacing with you. I'm enmeshing into your energy field. And that's not going to serve either of us in the best way. So it's really about staying in this interface way space of knowing where I end, knowing where you begin and um, vice versa. 
and just kind of sitting there with it and also knowing that my passion has to be for where do we go from here? And it's like, we put the pieces together of what happened in this relationship. And then we see, we go back and it's like, you know, Michaela, what happened in this other relationship that you were in? Right. And then how does this make you feel? And then it's like, da, 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 things come out. And then it's like, okay, so here's where we're going today. And all of a sudden, then I can be passionate because that's about the work that we're going to do. And that's, that's the true passion for me is how to serve going forward. Mm. I so love it's a little, that. maybe it's a little muddy. I don't know, but. No, that, I mean, that makes complete sense to me. And it's, it's the passion for, I'm thinking of like, I don't know, a basketball player. Like you can be passionate for the sport, but you don't have to like have passion for everybody you're playing with. That might right. be a terrible analogy, but but yeah, I feel you. I'm with you. <laughs> um, this might be in like an on the spot question, but I'm wondering if you have like a piece of advice because I feel like even just like today, like being an empath or like having more empathy and more compassion is such a are such kind of like buzzwords and like buzz phrases, and I find it to be so important to be compassionate these days and so important to empathize with people, but also not giving all of our power away to somebody else's work that they're going through or somebody else's pain. And I know it's something that I've had to really work on a lot in my life. And I think more and more people are understanding how sensitive they are and how empathetic they are. And I mean, even just like in my own work with clients, like I, I, I work with people who are just so passionate, like you're saying, about wanting to help everybody and wanting to like take away other people's pain and like fix people's problems for them. But that's really not our responsibility. So like how can people in your opinion maybe really show up for people without losing all of their, their energy? Absolutely. So this is something I'm super passionate about. And I often sit on sort of the opposing side of what's the the new age topic on this. It was like in 2008 that I wrote a blog about compassion versus empathy. Mm-hmm. And um, it was something I was feeling into just because at that phase of my life, I'd been a, pra- a healing practitioner for um, a few years. And um, I, I started to get into a place that was really unhealthy, actually. Um, I was starting to have dreams about my clients. I was I was really enmeshed, engaged in what was happening. And they were in a way, I was at the time, I was working at a brain injury and spinal cord hospital. Um, and so their stories were were hard. They're hard stories. Their lives had completely changed and they would be completely changed forever. And that had a personal resonance because the reason I got into the field was because my cousin had a spinal cord injury. So it was it was very enmeshed and it was also very unhealthy. Um, I was having, you know, like I'd have dinner with the parents of the the guys who'd have spinal cord injuries or brain injuries and just listen to their stories and feel into it. And I was serving them for sure. I was serving my job for sure. And then I was awake all night dreaming about it. And I was like, oh, something is like super wrong with me. And I started to research what's going on here. And I came to this conclusion that in empathy, and, and this is just my truth, so it can resonate or not, but I hope it does, in empathy, I'm feeling the feelings of another or a group of another's. In compassion, I'm listening 
with my heart to the feelings of another and recognizing that those aren't my feelings, recognizing that those are someone else's feelings, recognizing that owning those feelings is not going to serve me in helping them to the best of their ability. Um, and it, you know, it, it was the moment when like, you know, you wake up and go to work and you never slept and you never left, you know, it was like, it was clearly an unhealthy pattern and it was, I had to make the shift. I, I had to, had to, had to, if I wanted to keep doing what I was doing, otherwise my job wasn't sustainable. And I loved my job, you know? Was there any like tangible, like actions that you took specifically in order to kind of create that boundary with yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, the tangible actions, and I think this, this is something a lot of healers are guilty with. So if I'm talking specifically to healers, I can try to bring branch that out a little bit, but it was leaving like the, um, the client notes, like getting, making sure they were done at work, making sure that there wasn't extra to bring home. So really creating a separation between what was work and what was home was one thing. Then the other thing was really spending time in my self-care. So, and what that meant at that particular time in my life was that in the mornings I would actually go to um, the river and I would meditate and I would also like really just cleanse my own energy for the day. And I would go in feeling so much more open, so much more vulnerable and yet I wasn't taking people's shit in. It was like amazing. Um, and then at night, what it meant was really spending a lot of time writing and journaling. And sometimes it was, you know, it was just the mind dump of getting out whatever happened in the day. And other times it was writing poetry. Other times it was, um, um, you know, just uh, thoughtless kind of movement. Sometimes it was stories. It was all sorts of things and it didn't matter, but it was that pen to paper action that really did help me. Um, but but again, creating a home that is about you feeling safe, you feeling comfortable, you feeling like it's your sanctuary rather than just a place that you sleep between work and work again. Yeah, thank you. It's, yeah. it's really wild how everyone in the last couple of weeks that I've had on the podcast has talked about the power of writing mm -hmm. and it's seen I mean it's something that's so powerful in my life and always yeah. has been and I don't know if I ever realized that because it's not really something we're we're not really taught that like we're taught how to like write in school mm -hmm. like you know but we're not really taught that aspect of it like that aspect of the release that can come from it, the clarity that can come from it, the healing that can come from it. And there's something about that pen to paper action, not just thinking about it and like actually getting it out on the paper that mm -hmm. is really, is really a catalyst for some shift. And I agree. And I don't know that I wish I knew the brain physiology of it. Honestly, I'm surprised I haven't like spent some time looking that up because I'm actually it's something I think about a lot. Um, but you're right. There is really this just relief in that pen to paper. There's this, this moment when all of a sudden it feels good. And the, the only thing I can think of, you know, it's like the manifestation, mm -hmm. right? Our, our brain is kind of like wired in a way in which it can take over. It can be constantly going, 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 going. It has that ability, it has that power. Um, but going, going, going isn't necessarily building our intentions 
uh, our intelligence, I'm sorry, it isn't necessarily building our emotional, you know, repertoire. It's just on. Yeah. And so like the TV, what's the TV serving when it's just on all day? Right. So I think when we write, what happens is we start to listen to our hearts a little bit more and just get the manifestation of kind of what's happening in our head onto paper. And whether we keep that journal, destroy that journal, burn that piece of paper, you know, turn it into a grocery list, that part almost doesn't matter. Turn it into a book. It almost doesn't matter because it was the act of what happened with the pen on paper before it was typed, before it was burned, before it was, you know, the bestseller on the list. It it was just the therapy of producing. And so I think there's definitely something there. I know it's helpful. I give, you know me, I give homework, like writing homework all the time. And it's like, why don't you spend some time journaling about this? <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I really do think it, I feel so deeply that a lot of the writing, like you said, it, it comes back to presence and mm-hmm. stillness. And mm-hmm. yeah, like that TV on in the background it's noise. It's exhausting. And I think a lot of times, oh, I think many people we've, we've grown in, grown up into it. Like these things just become kind of normal and natural. So I, I think there's a lot of people living their lives kind of without even realizing a lot of the noise that's going on. But it's when you start to make these like little shifts sometimes like, okay, rather than, watching two episodes of The Bachelorette tonight, like, let's just do one and then let's write for 30 minutes, you know? And just, it doesn't have to be these insane, like, massive changes in your life, but sometimes just making those, like, little shifts and just taking one journal question that your acupuncturist gives you and sitting with it for 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Maybe you end up writing for 45 minutes and Mm -hmm. it's in that stillness and that silence where things just kind of come through yeah otherwise wouldn't. absolutely yeah okay I, 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 I feel you I've got two things to add yeah. on that can I add two more things please okay so the first one is um I think people might appreciate this in Chinese medicine the heart is really the empress or emperor of the being so it's not the brain, even though in Western medicine, you know, we kind of go to the brain as the control center. And to some extent, it is the control center. But the heart is really the manifestation of our purpose for being. It's essentially, you know, those star seeds of the universe that brought us here. That lives in the heart. That's the, that's the why. And so it, one thing to do is really trying to find ways, and I encourage everyone to do this, try to find the ways, and they're different for everybody, that you can sink in to the heart and allow the brain to just kind of be there for the ride and do all the functions that it needs to, because we need the brain to you know, help us move this arm if we want to. We need the brain to communicate this language. We need the heart to be kind of that governor, governess of the why mm. of the output. Um, yeah, I just, I feel so passionate about that. <laughs> yeah, that's beautiful. And I, and do you feel like people drop into their heart? This might be a dumb question. People drop into their heart space in all sorts of different ways. Yeah, of course. I mean, and I think writing is one of the greatest ways to do that. And that's what just 
kind of brought me there, um, of yeah. course. But I think like singing, dancing, I think being, you know, joyful with friends, um, holding your kitten while they purr, you know, scratching, you know, rivers, you know, the top of his head behind his ears, like all of those things, you know, and seeing how excited he gets. Um, I think for some people it's exercise, you know, everybody has their own modality. Some people it's gardening, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just when you can be in the heart space and you know, when you're in the heart space, cause the brain is empty. You're just literally present in the moment. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's funny. Like I think back to like childhood, for example, and I think of like my brother and I, and you know, both of us. And yeah. I think back to, you know, growing up, there were things that, as kids and we become adults that seem more like the norm, quote unquote, normal things to be spending our time with or the quote unquote appropriate things to be spending our time with. Sure. And we don't really, again, we don't like learn these things as kids like, oh, that's, that's in your, and maybe our parents observe these things in us. And, but it's like, I know for Devin, and maybe he'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe for like my brother, he drops into his heart when he's playing basketball. It's something that he's so passionate about. But like yeah. as a 12 year old, I didn't drop into my heart playing basketball. You know, like it's we all like as children, I think even are automatically kind of like drawn to these things. But our society isn't always set up in a way to encourage us to do these things that drop us into that space of like knowing and calm and centeredness. And totally. I sometimes just wish I knew how to like set up a program for people to just like to like teach things like this, you know, because when we start to so so much of the time we learn this when we're 30. We learn this when we're 45 and mm -hmm. it's like dang wow like so cool looking back like I was in my heart space when I was doing xyz but why did I have to be sitting like in my closet alone writing feeling like I had to hide in order to like be in that space that felt so nourishing for me mm -hmm. so I think I, just that yeah. concept of like dang like we all drop into that space in our own way is so profound Absolutely. And as children, you know, we, if we're lucky enough, we get to try a lot of things. Mm. And by try, I really mean try. I don't mean like you have to start, if you start basketball, you have to do it through the whole season. I don't necessarily mean that because I'm a product of that too. I was, I don't think I was 12. I was probably like eight and I was on, you know, the happy tigers. And the most exciting part for me was that I got to wear a, like a, a bandana around my neck. Like, I don't know why, but that was the thing. And it was like a <laughs> yellow, you know, uniform and whatever. And I loved my yellow bandana. Like, I can't tell you that I ever loved like bouncing the ball or like the smell of basketball. Like I didn't have any fascination for any of that. And it dragged on for, you know, a period of time. It obviously was not my passion. Um, but if we're really lucky, like I said, we get to try different things. And if we get to try different things, the more that we try, the more that perhaps we can find that resonance, we can find that vibration that we're seeking. And then if we're encouraged to just stay in that lane for as long as it makes us feel good, then we're doing what we're here for. Yeah. We came here to touch it, to smell it, to taste it, to feel it, to see it. Because in spirit form, and like, we don't have to go too wild today, but in spirit form, we don't have that opportunity, right? Spirit is the the feeling 
of and not the same not touch it's it's just the feeling it's just the knowing it's just the energy but in this human body as beautiful and yet restrictive as it can be because we none of us get out alive unfortunately we have to take in as much as possible the opportunity to lean into our senses and feel into them and experience them and get pleasure and joy and exuberance and love from how we interpret these senses. The more we do that, I think the better. I don't think there's another point of life. I don't think it's work in the grind. Mm -hmm. I agree. I deeply agree. And I also believe that it takes especially in the world that we live in today, I think it takes a lot of courage to keep doing, keep trying new things even, and to to keep following the things that light you up and to keep learning and to keep having those like tangible experiences. And I feel like, I mean, I'm just like laughing, like even if you go on your website and you see all of the different like certifications and things that you've done in your life just to like, but I I understand that because I'm, I'm similar like that. Like one day I'm taking astrology course, one day I'm taking a doula class. Like there's, it's when we stop limiting ourselves and we, we keep choosing to just learn and experience. And that doesn't have to look like courses and certifications that can look like Go jump in the river today and go climb a mountain tomorrow and make a pizza yesterday. Like it can be all sorts of different things, but just trying new things and learning new things and having those new experiences is huge. And just moving off of that. So much of why I started this podcast was because I, I do believe that we kind of are set up with this checkbox in society of things to do. And at least that's how I, it makes sense in my mind when I think about it and visualize it. It was like, okay, these are kind of the checkboxes that society is like, these are normal things to do. And I think more and more people are stepping away from that checkbox and like being like, okay, no, there's a star over here that I want to do. There's something over here that I want to do that's not totally like on point with the checkbox that I saw when I was younger and was growing up. And uh, I love sharing those stories and those experiences because I find that them, they are so inspiring. And I wonder for you, what was your path looking like? And did something shift for you to be like, actually, I want to shift my path a little. And has that got you to where you are today? Ooh, Good question. I mean, I think the um, the educational journey on its own, right, has been sort of navigating the river of where where life goes. And um, I am I am so guilty of and in the best way of being a person that says yes when something feels like it does. And and sometimes that yes, it just gets me one nugget, perhaps of information, or perhaps one nugget of an emotion or one moment in which I can feel something different about myself, I can get to know some part of myself. Um, but to me, that's worth it. You know, to me, those are moments that are worth it. I guess I want to preface this with um, we when we were talking before, um, before this podcast about, you know, what are we going to talk about? And I I asked you a question, like, what do you want to talk about? Do you have questions? And you asked a question, I can't remember. So maybe you remember your question exactly. Well, so you said, 
you said, if you could ask the universe any question, I said, what the freak am I doing here? (laughs) Yes. So, and, and that's like, that's the idea, right? It's, and it's not a, it's not a question that has a concrete answer. It's a question that has a malleable answer. And it is a question that evolves over our lifetime. So what we're doing here in our 20s probably looks uh, what we're doing here as a child, right? In in toddler age, in that fascinated with everything, getting into everything, seeing everything for the first time, feeling it, even if we get burned on the stove, right? It's like, it's still the experiential phase of life. And then, you know, we progress and our teen years, you know, we're confused, our hormones are all over the place and there's a lot going on there. And we certainly might not know why we're here, but we may have some essence of like, I love um, records. I love vinyl, you know, or whatever it might be. I love drawing. I love this. I love that. And those are these golden moments that sort of help to shape us in our 20s. Our our career, our purpose, our path might look really different than our 30s or 40s or 50s. And then, of course, we retire at some point, you know, in the standard of of life that we experience now. And then there's a big rebirth that happens. Mm-hmm. And what's that phase of life about? So I think we have to remember that the journey of purpose is one that shifts. And it is not only okay that it shifts, it is amazing and beautiful and wonderful that it shifts. And it's something for us to be able to lean into. Mm. And um, so, you know, for me, the, the greatest shift I think was when I started off as, as a PT and, you know, doing the spinal cord brain injury thing that I felt so passionate about because of my cousin's story. Um, I was really passionate about his story. I was less passionate about being in the hospital scrubs and and all the things that went along with that on a day-to-day basis. And I love that I had that experience because it, it was amazing in so many ways, but that was the first shift. It was like, I, I need something that's slightly different. And, you know, honestly, my first like educational shift, I went to massage school right after I got my PT degree, I went to massage school and I didn't take all the courses The the teacher was amazing. His name was Bob. I can't remember his last name. He also has passed on. And, um, he's like, Oh, you can just take these Eastern medicine classes and I'll give you a degree. I'm like, I I don't care about a degree, but yeah, I want to take the Eastern medicine classes. That sounds fun. And so that was really like the first door for me that was like, Oh, there's an energy in this medicine. And, you know, life started to shift and and I started to have my practice. I started to work at other facilities, do different things. And eventually I found, um, you know, kind of a home in my practice. And I found a home with dry needling. I was a PT who was doing a lot of dry needling. And um, I loved it. I loved the passion of of the results I was getting. And over time, I realized that the the, the dry needling medicine itself was not really what I was evoking. It was not what I was sharing. It was not what I was connecting to. It was something greater. And it was really going back to those Eastern traditions. It was really going back to Eastern medicine. And so, and that was part of my heart. Like it was in me. So I couldn't like not put it through a needle. Every time I put a needle in, that was just part of it. Cause that's what I believed. That's what I knew to be true. That's what I felt. That's what I experienced. And that's why I went back to acupuncture school. Um, and that has allowed me to really feel completely in integrity with the medicine that I'm sharing. And I can honestly say I didn't feel that from the moment I got my PT degree and started practicing. 
I didn't feel it. I didn't feel, at some points I didn't feel so excited, but at most points I felt like there was a gap between who I was and what I was sharing. And now that gap isn't there. And it's like, you know, the, the floodgates of opportunity just open. It's like what I can feel inside myself that I can share with clients in the medicine, how I can serve, how I can help, how, you know, the restrictions are, are lifted and, it, it was the it was the greatest shift, really. And it was something I'm so passionate about. And of course, I still see clients with sports medicine things. And I still love sports medicine. It's not that I don't love it. But now, instead of just treating a shoulder problem, I can put, you know, some other points in that actually connect to what's happening emotionally with the shoulder, what's actually happening in the channels, you know, what's happening in the small intestine channel. I can connect that in and just get a resonance that's a lot deeper. And that's what I love. I love the depth. I love the area of vulnerability and, you know, unknown. Yeah, that's amazing. A clarifying question, because for anyone who might be wondering, because it only took me six or seven years to finally ask it to you a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> um, what is the difference between dry needling and acupuncture? Because when I first started seeing you, it was quote unquote dry needling. And then, like sure. you said, you went to school for a couple of years for acupuncture. Sure. Yeah. So um, essentially, (laughs) any needle that is inserted into the skin that is non-hypodermic, so does not have, you know, um, an injectable in it or is not going to be taking blood um, is a dry needle. So a piercing needle is actually a dry needle. A tattoo needle is not going to be a dry needle. Um, But dry needling is something that PTs at some point, um, they started in Germany and they brought this skill um, to a point where they could really help some musculoskeletal um, pathologies with it. And the techniques that they used were actually really based on um, a, a Japanese acupuncture technique called ashi points. Um, so the PTs sort of got into this. And when it came to America, when it first came to America, I learned it very early. I was one of the first practitioners that was actually certified. And I did a long certification course. I did a certain number of hours per body part, really leaned into it, had to pass like five exams in order to do it. Um, and I felt good about that at that time. Like I felt like there was something really robust about it. Now, unfortunately, um, and I don't want to diss on PTs because I'm still a PT and I still really, you know, honor that. Um, but unfortunately now the certifications are not the same. The companies that are putting forth the courses don't do it in the same way. So you sort of get a package deal. And as long as in most states, as long as you feel confident in your ability to needle safely, you're able to do that within your scope of practice. Um, so it is, it's a technique I believe that has come from ancient Chinese medicine, and it's a small window of what Chinese medicine does. It's effective, it's useful, um, as long as it's used in the right way. Amazing, thank you. So yeah. question, what is the, the Ashi points? Are those yeah. similar? Are those the same as meridians or totally different thing? Yeah, so ashi points can be on meridians, um, but ashi points are essentially tender points or trigger points. So they can also be off of a meridian. So, you know, if we look at like the top of the shoulder where a lot of people hold stress, most of those trigger points are actually right on meridian points. But, um, you know, we could look into the back or something and find ashi points, tender points, trigger points that are not exactly on a meridian point. Okay, cool. Doesn't mean they're not significant, but yeah. Gotcha. And for people who are wondering what 
are our meridian points and yeah what are meridian points okay so meridian points are points on the body that have a heightened um, electroactivity so there's actually scientific research that shows that the points that we call these meridian points do have a difference when they're tested on the skin surface um the the structure of them is is of course you know in ancient times they didn't have machines to measure these sorts of things so um they were literally based on palp palpative diagnosis so using hands on the body and and feeling into what was there um and those points that they found many many years ago they're legitimate points um and so the meridian points essentially all connect to organs or organ systems within the body so um and there's there's 12 main meridians and then of course we have extraordinary vessels divergent channels all sorts of other things that we're probably not going to want to get into today <laughs> uh, but those 12 main meridians connect to our 12 primary organs so cool yeah because it's like sometimes you'll go in for stomach stuff like digestive stuff and you'll be having points like in your shoulder on your foot like so yeah. that's because the meridians are all connected throughout yes. the body. Yes. So the meridians either run from like the face to the fingertips or the fingertips to the face or the torso to the toes, something of that nature. So they run essentially from the central source of our being outward. Um, so if we take um, lung meridian, for instance, lung meridian is going to start in the chest, which makes sense because the lungs are in the chest and then it's going to go out to the hand and then it's going to, it comes, they come back three times. So it'll come back and then it'll go back out to the thumb and then it connects to the next meridian, which is going to be the large intestine on the first finger. And then that's actually going to go up to the face and then so on, it connects, connects. And then from the face on the, the large intestine point, we then connect to the stomach point. The stomach goes down to the feet. So they sort of have this reciprocal um, movement pattern between face, torso, hands, and feet. And then each meridian connects to each of the other meridians. So it's important how each one exists on its own, but it's also really important how they are in congruence with each other because each organ has a job to do. So for instance, if we're talking about the stomach, the stomach rots and ripens food, right? We know that that's like its job from a physiological perspective. Um, but from a energetic perspective, it also rots and ripens our thoughts. Anything that we're going to process needs to come through that stomach. So it's really important. And the stomach, we've got a point right here on the top of our head, stomach eight, that is going to um, you know, be part of that. We've got a lot of stomach points right around the face, um, one in front of the ear. So these are gonna have this access to the brain, which is cool. So thoughts come through the stomach. It's, it's wild. Like we just, it's so wild. And I've, I barely know anything, but I've learned so much like over the last six plus years. And we just, we're so good at covering things up in our, in our world. Like there's yeah. so many like quote unquote, easy, quick fixes to things, whether it be heartburn, a stomach ache, a headache, shoulder pain, and we don't, this is just another one of those things we weren't taught, right? And it's, yeah. I'm going to title this episode, The Things We Weren't Taught That We Should Have Been Taught. Because, like, <laughs> you know, like, our, the, the amount of times I'll come see you for a shoulder pain or a knee pain or a stomach, whatever, and 
it doesn't start to heal itself until the emotional aspect is addressed. Absolutely. I mean, I think as far as this, like what we're not taught, this is like a topic I could talk about forever. I'm so passionate about this. And I think my personal belief is everyone should have an anatomy class. Everyone should understand anatomy and everyone should have a psychology class. Um, and not just like how psychology works and what's the history and what's, you know, Freud versus this versus that, not that stuff. I mean, that could be useful if you're actually interested in going into psychology, but into the emotions and for the body into how our body works, what's happening in our body, where certain organs are in our body system. So we can know if we have abdominal pain, like it's important to know if it's on that right side, like right lower quadrant, that's that's really important. Like that's the appendix. We need to know that that's a go to the hospital kind of pain, right? Um, we need to know the difference between digestive upset and heart attack. And we don't we don't know these things and we don't connect to these things. And I'm not saying that everybody has to be their own healer. At the same time, I believe everyone is their own best healer. And what I get from a client in their voice, it serves a significant purpose in what we do. Because even if their pulses say something that's a little bit different. So let's go back to stomach pain. You come in with stomach pain and your stomach pulses are, are fine. They're great. And the partner of that, the spleen, those pulses are great. And then your small intestine and large intestine pulses are great too. Okay. Well, I'm not going to say to you, your stomach's fine, right? We have to treat that because that's what you think is, is happening. That's what you are perceiving. You're perceiving pain there. So it's, it's really important to understand the details of our body to understand, to be able to say, I have pain. And also to be able to say pain is not normal because pain is not normal. And we just don't know that either. It's another thing that we don't know. Yeah. And I would even like add like a meditation class to those, all of those things that you just said. Yes. And uh, I mean, that probably just comes like an obvious one to you, but like to even just how many of us are running around in our, in our life, not even taking the moment to get still and feel maybe our shoulder pain or our stomach pain. And mm -hmm. uh, a lot of times it's not until life like smacks you in the face and knocks you down that you really even realize some of these things are going on in your body. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's like, we don't end up paying enough attention to, to your point, right? It's like my shoulder hurts and it's like, well, when does your shoulder hurt? Can you tell me more about it? And some people can, some people have the insight and other people don't have that insight. And, yeah. you know, it, it's important like to consider all of the other things that might be leading to that shoulder being upset about something, you yeah. know? Like I said, all of those, all of those um, small intestine points that are up in the shoulder, well, how's your digestion? What's happening down there, you know? Um, and, and Again, people don't have to know all the details, but they have to know enough to know this isn't okay and I need to reach out to someone, Yeah, you know, yeah. and and feel into it enough to provide that information because you are your best healer. That's the, that is the bottom line that I really believe. You are your best healer, but you don't have to do the work alone. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I think even on that, like you are your best healer and just like a full circle kind of like ex ex example in my own life right now that I'm thinking of is like sometimes you the medicine that you need isn't as obvious as like those quick fixes like I just remember 
I think yeah. last year when I kept dislocating my my trachea. Do you Your hyoid bone. My hyoid. I keep. I always tell people it's my trachea because I don't know that <laughs> word. But basically, <laughs> my throat was going through some stuff. And I remember, like, my mom actually one day just looking at me, and then you said the same thing in a session one day. My mom, because it was when I was off of social media, I didn't have the podcast, I was very much inward, and I was not expressing myself in the ways that I'm, I'm a very expressive person, I love sharing my voice, I love writing. And for a solid year, I hadn't been expressing myself and all of these throat things kept happening. And my mom just one day, she's like, well, Michaela, like maybe you need a creative outlet. Like maybe you need to start using your voice again. And I was like, classic, like, okay, mom, good idea. And then (laughs) I was like, I felt that too. And then you said it in a session too. So it was just like validation finally for like three, three times me just being like, okay. And since I started this podcast, you know, that hasn't happened again. So sometimes yeah. it's just the the medicine that we need isn't really like the the medicine. It's something that we just, an action that we need to take. It's a conversation Absolutely. that we need to have in our life. Absolutely. I remember this moment for you and, and you did, you had a physical pathology with it because that iod bone, it did, it kept moving, right? It kept being out of sorts, uncomfortable. And I remember the moment, it was a really big manipulation that we did on it. This It was the second time, it was a really big manipulation. And it was like, I was like literally hit with the energy of like, oh my gosh, your voice is not being heard. And I don't know, I probably like yelled it at you. Um, <laughs> probably. As I was um, like yelling, why are you doing this to me? Yeah, yeah, something, <laughs> something of that sort. Um, picture that, everybody. Um, <laughs> in the best way possible. <laughs> in the best way possible. It was great. Yeah, it was such a, it was such a profound moment. Um, I had a client actually, he's a, he's a construction worker and he is a very, very talented woodworker. And he came back to me just recently, years ago, I'd seen him and he, he had, I can't remember if it was back or hip pain, but something like that. And I'd always wondered, you know, kind of what happened to him. So I'm asking him, you know, what, what happened to your, to your back pain? And he's like, oh, I quit my job. Like you said, and my back pain's gone. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I, I definitely didn't tell you to like quit your job, but, um, holy shit, that's great. You know? (laughs) Um, so it's, it's amazing how the actions in our life can really impact how we're feeling. And for this guy, he's still a woodworker. His job is not like different in the physical, um, uh, physical nature, physical taxing necessity of it. He's still lifting things and cutting things and probably twisting and sawing and doing all sorts of, you know, bad things for the body, but it was the action. It was the emotional action associated with it. Yeah. And this is the case with you as well. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so cool when you finally see that in your own life happen. Because it it does, in a way, give you your power back to be like, okay, life is is happening. But I also Mm -hmm. get to make choices in response to how life is happening. Yes. Yeah. It's really, it's really profound and beautiful. Yes. I mean, it's like that, that Tony Robbins quote. I, I kind of am like a closet Tony Robbins fan. Um, and I love so much of what he says. And, you know, the hype is a little much for me. But um, he says that, you know, life is unfolding for you. It's not happening to you. And like, it's such a true thing. It's just if yeah. we can lean into this idea of how do we step into the role of the creator? How do we step into the role of being in the driver's seat of our life? 
and not letting the shoulds and the schedule and the expectation dictate what we're here for. Yeah. It's the key. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, it's kind of uh, kind of what you just shared about this woodworker, but I'm wondering if people, especially with like the sports injuries and things like that, do people often come in for something specific and like leave with a totally different understanding of their body or what's happening in their life? For sure. For sure. I mean, it happens. It's an investigative process, right? So sure. Sometimes is a shoulder thing, a shoulder thing is a knee thing, a knee thing. Yeah, it is. Um, but what was going on in that moment? What is causing the pain now? Um, where is the the progress on all levels? You know, that spiritual, emotional, physical, intellectual. Um, and where is it stagnating? Yeah. And I mean, you know, Chinese medicine is famous for saying stagnation is the root of all disease. And there's like no exceptions to that. You know, trauma is something else, but disease comes from stagnation. Mm-hmm. So where is a stagnation? And so often with ankle injuries or foot injuries, for instance, it's like the foot injury, ankle injury happens when someone's got one foot in one world and one foot in another world. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, it's it's the contrast of I'm I'm offered um, a new contract while I'm currently working at another contract as a professional sports player. I've seen that one multiple times. Um, and that's hard because you're committed to something and you're pre-committed to something else and your body is literally being ripped in half, you know? Yeah. I was like, it's hard to live in two worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I was kind of like rolling my eyes, just thinking about the experiences in in my life, (laughs) like that one foot in one foot out and not being able to let go to like let in. And for the person who's trying to like visualize this concept of stagnation, would you say indecision is another good word to describe that? sometimes for sure. So stagnation can look like a lot of things. Um, Indecision is definitely something that can create stagnation at the same time having, you know, so we always talk about excess and deficiency in Chinese medicine, right? So someone who, if I'm going back to my wood person from the beginning, Mm -hmm. they're going to be like, boom, 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 boom with all of their decisions, right? Perhaps. Mm -hmm. Um, And that may be that they're not getting enough time to really listen. So it can go both ways. Um, And that actually boom, boom, boom can create its own stagnation because the body actually doesn't, doesn't connect enough to anything. It doesn't grasp anything. Um, So yes, stagnation can definitely come from indecision. Mm -hmm. Um, Stagnation can come from, I mean, you know, to be very cliche, like not moving our bodies, you know, And, oh, this is what I was thinking about earlier. Okay, so we were talking about um, how these little changes are important, right? When I want to encourage these action steps and you want to encourage these action steps for yourself, for others, et cetera, the key is very often sustainable change, Mm. right? So we have to find ways to make change sustainable. So whether it's writing, right? Well, if someone hasn't lifted a pen for six years and I say, you know what, go home, spend an hour and a half writing about how you're feeling in this relationship with your mom, you know, well, that's going to be effing hard for them. Right. But if I say, you know what, spend five minutes or someone who is coming off an injury and isn't an, isn't feeling athletic, not feeling good in their body. It's like, just walk to the mailbox. 
you know, each day and it's winter, right? Just, just go to the mailbox, see how that feels for you or park the car. You know, if it's not slippery, park the car a little bit further away from the store and see what that feels like for you. So making small change, I think is the key to sustainability. And I also think that's the key to not stagnating because if the goal is row for 30 minutes, right? Row for 20,000 meters, which, you know, is what the rowing machines tell you that, that that's the goal. Um, a lot of people don't have 20 minutes, 30 minutes. So they're going to choose to watch their Netflix show, you know, cause they're tired. Yeah. But what if you just do eight? What if you just do eight minutes? How about that? Cause that's still going to do something for you. That's still going to evoke, you know, on that rowing machine, it's still going to evoke your posture. If that's your jam, you know, it's going to help your posture. It's going to help your spinal health. It's going to really start to move your lungs, your chest. And those are great things for heart health. Right. Yeah. So I'd rather have eight minutes than have TV every day, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I can share an example from my own life, actually, that I just recently experienced this. I kind of went into this year, not in any way like a New Year's resolution, but just it was like the change, like the shift. And I just felt like this year I really wanted to start feeling strong in my body again. And mm -hmm. I just like one day was like, I'm going to go to like a workout class and move my body every day and I'm going to meditate for an hour a day. Do you know how mm -hmm. quickly that quote unquote failed? Because that was too big. Like that that's was, too big. that's, that's two and a half hours out of my day of like adding new things in. And as <laughs> soon as I decided, like, cause I stopped doing the meditation, I was like, something's got to give here. Like all of a sudden this life that I have, I tried to fit these two new big things into my life. And mm -hmm. the days that I was doing them, it was great. But the days that I wasn't doing them, I started beating myself up and that wasn't cool. So no. as soon as I decided, okay three to five days of a workout class or a yoga class a week is beautiful. Like, great. Do your, like, do your best and like shoot for that instead. And everything rapidly changed because I started, I have a little like checklist in my phone of like the days today I went to like bar class and I went to yoga class with like the date. And I just like look at it and I'm like, wow, the days that I was being so hard on myself to try to do this every day. I just, I wouldn't go because I would be like, well, whatever. I didn't go yesterday. I'm not going to go today. And now mm -hmm. it's like, okay, three days. And now it's like five days. Sweet. That's amazing. And yeah. same with the meditation. It's like an hour was too much to commit to like in my, my day. So yeah. taking that down to like 30 minutes and just being like, great job that, that was so much more tangible and sustainable for me. And I've really seen it release that stagnation probably using using the terms that you're using and things like feel so much more flowy in my life absolutely yeah and you ha you have to be malleable enough too to realize like if you're traveling or something that like you know you may choose to to not be on that same schedule you may choose to do 20 minutes of yoga that's like on youtube or something and then yeah. have your 30 minutes of meditation and then be exploring or conferencing or whatever it is that you're up to yeah. um walking you know just enjoying a different environment yeah and it, that's the key right back to this malleability back to this movement and that's that's where we can start to heal and we can start to know ourselves and it's so good that you like stopped beating yourself up you know, oh, yeah. it's so good that you were like, this isn't sustainable. So I'm going to shift. Yeah. And we, again, it's like taking our power back and making that choice. Like there's no, nobody was like holding me to it. Like it, it was, yeah. I was the only one beating myself and I was the only one able to like make the change. Absolutely.
Yeah. Cool. I want to like come back to this universal question. What the freak are we doing here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Okay. (laughs) So this is, yeah. So we started to touch upon this a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I guess I, if I if I think about this in the lens of within the lens of Chinese medicine, I go back to really the base of of, of um, Chinese medicine, which is Taoism, and it's the Tao, T A O or D A O, depending upon you know which school of thought you're looking at. And the Tao is essentially the way, and the way has no expectations. It has no confines. It's just living from your heart, living from the love of your heart and allowing that to guide your decisions, to guide your choices, to guide your actions and to guide how you live on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, the the ancient Chinese say that that's the secret to longevity is aligning with our Tao. That's beautiful. Can you off of that, talk a little bit about this concept of the art of doing nothing. Oh, yeah. So the Wu Wei. <laughs> yeah. The Wu Wei is the art of doing nothing. So um, I think when we think of doing nothing, we think we have like, you know, our popcorn and our comfy sweatpants and robe on and we're chilling out with Netflix, right? Yeah. That's kind of what doing nothing might be in a modern American mindset. Um But the art of doing nothing is actually doing without feeling like you are doing. So it's acting without feeling like you're putting effort into it. So it's, it's honestly, it's a preservation and conservation of the chi and the jing um, within you, the energy that's innately within your body, because what you are doing, what you're up to is just being. And so that's an awkward thing because it's like, well, I have to do bill paying, let's say. Okay. So as soon as your mindset is I have to do bill paying Mm. versus this is just part of what I'm up to, it it changes everything. Right. So what if your bill paying was like you light some Palo Santo and like you make a ritual out of it and like not a ritual for like not gimmicky, you know, you don't have to like rip out all your crystals and like look up what someone was up to online. You just feel into the moment of, you know, I'm putting down this gold altar cloth because I really like it. It feels like money to me and I'm adding in this um, piece of lapis that has these gold flecks in it and I'm burning my Palo Santo. And then it's like, oh, yeah. I'm going through my bills mm. and then they're done before you even know it. And that's like, my work is like that. Like, like I said, from the beginning, I'm really lucky. I found my passion for serving people, helping people, helping them get closer to who they are. So that's what my work feels like. Um, I wish that like every single facet of my life felt like that, but I'd be lying to you to say that that was the case. I am not an enlightened monk and I do not live in an environment that is productive to just feeling so perfectly aligned all the time, still in a modern world. I wish I didn't have to go to the grocery store. I wish I didn't have to do some of these (laughs) survival based things, but here we are. Yeah. But it's, it's bringing that, it's bringing that joy into it almost bringing like the joy into these. I was actually writing about that this moment. It's like when I was taking river for a walk, I think sometimes we, 
we use like the thing we're doing as the excuse to get to the next thing. It's like, yes. well, I have to brush my teeth so that I can make coffee. And then I have to take River for a walk so that I can be back in time to do that. And it's like, I just like stopped in our walk. And I was like, no, like this is, this is the most, like this is living. Like this is life yeah. right here. Like we're, this is, and I, in some way, maybe like that is, the art of doing nothing it's like I am right here I'm gonna look at the sky and it was like raining a little like feeling the rain like this is life right here like we could say that about anything I have to take river I have to get through this podcast so that I can make lunch I have to make lunch so that I can go to the beat like all of these things but it's like right here right now there we're not going any getting somewhere right this is this is the infinite moment right now yeah yeah and now this is the infinite moment right now. Yes. <laughs> it just keeps progressing. So yeah. if we if we try to stray too far away from that, it's it's really hard. And the schedules that we lead can really make it difficult for us to, you know, just be present. Cause yeah. sometimes we have to get to our dentist appointment at two o'clock, you know? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Uh, this has been so good. I know we could talk forever. We'll probably have to do another one of these. <laughs> Um, this is amazing. This actually felt like th- this was like the art of doing nothing, right? Yeah. This was the Wu way because it was just a conversation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the best. Okay. I just have a couple like wrap up questions. First, my parents have a question for you. Okay. I texted Rick and Kelly and I was like, what would you ask Crystal if you could ask her one question? Okay. Hit um, me. Okay. They said, what was your most profound treatment result? Oh god. I know a tough one. They hit you with a hard one. Ooh. <laughs> you know, it's hard for me. This is going to sound a little bit like a cop out, but I'm I'm asking the universe, you know, where to go with this and I hate to compare like one re- one result to another and yeah. we have good results on a regular basis you know, getting rid of pain or having an emotional breakthrough, that happens a lot. Um, I, I guess it comes down to, I guess it really comes down to the present moment. You know, I'm thinking back to, um, I, I kind of went back as far as I could with the thought process. And I thought about, you know, my first client who's also passed away. We're just bringing in all the spirits today, um, the Colonel and um, it, being with him through his end of life, you know, was definitely profound. He, he was my very, very first client, um, like on my own, on private practice. And um, then I think to, you know, people I saw as, as close as yesterday, Right. And profound things that happened within a session about their vision for life and and breakthrough for just a new thought process around whatever it was they were struggling with. And it's like, I, I can't compare. Yeah. I can't compare. And perhaps being in the present moment is saying I'm not going to. Yeah. I yeah. can't even compare like every time I come in and see like there's something that happens every time 
that. And I, I think know. it is coming back to the present moment. Like even just like something as like silly as I'll come in and be like, Crystal, this guy won't text me back. And then it's like, <laughs> I'll lay on the table for like 90 minutes or whatever and like needles. And then I get out to my car and the guy texted me back and I'm like, sick. Okay. Like just chill out, <laughs> Michaela. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. It's hard to pick. I can't, I can't pick favorites. I just love them all. And I want more favorites to come like yeah. every day. And you know, I want a recession to be a big one because otherwise, why is someone coming in the door? You know? Yeah, yeah. that's so beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. Last question yeah. from me. What does finding Wilder mean to you? Oh, I, I've, I've so wondered actually what this has meant to you mm. ever since you started using the terminology. And I think... Um, I, I just think of this wild nature that we have within us. And this goes back to Chinese medicine too. And, and it's been my excuse. Chinese medicine has been my excuse to go back to nature and be okay with the wild nature within us, be okay with the primal nature within us. And I think that's what it is. I think it's getting closer to nature because getting closer to nature means getting closer to ourselves. I think it means living a more whole and robust life. I think it means leaning into what's actually true because I don't know if this online world is true. Mm. You know, who does, right? Yeah. All the things that we receive and feed and et cetera. But I know that the turkeys who are eating every day in the backyard, who are sleeping up in my trees every night, I know that they're real. Mm. I know that they're reliable. I know that they feel safe. I know that they feel comfortable. I know that they've found nourishment. And like, what does that mean? Yeah. That's yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, for sure. I love that. It's been so fun to hear people's responses to that because I was actually kind of nervous like the first time I even asked somebody because I was like, does this even make sense? I'm not like <laughs> asking like a legit question. It's like a phrase I made up. And it's been really interesting and cool because people's responses have been so different, but at the root of it, the same. Yeah. Which is like so much so in alignment with what it feels to me too so it's been really fun for sure yeah thank you so much where can people find you to connect where can people find me well so i have a website it is um crystal-couture.com crystal with a k so k-r-y-s-t-a-l-c-o-u-t-u-r-e.com and then i'm on instagram d-r-k-r-y-s-t-a-l couture so dr crystal couture and um, those are probably the best places to locate me. Otherwise, I'm on Islington Street in Portsmouth, and I've got a sweet little space there. Perfect. It's so great. And we didn't even touch upon it, but you also have Stanella Farms. You have flower essences and things of the such. That might have to be a different That's conversation. A whole other yeah. conversation. <laughs> I live on a farm, and you know, I um, I feel like living on this farm has deepened that wilder for me it has deepened get back to nature yeah so cool yeah. well thank you so 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 much i'm excited for people to listen thank you so much i'm really excited too i loved this conversation yeah me too thank you so much for tuning in and listening to another episode of finding wilder i hope you enjoyed this conversation if you did it would mean the world if you leave a review or if you share the podcast episode somewhere in the socials, because that's how the world flies these days. 
Thank you again for being here. If you want to find more about me, my website is michaelajean.com, M-I-C-A-Y-L-A-J-E-A-N.com. Find me at michaela.jean on Instagram. I have an account with daily channeled messages called Wilder Daily, also on Instagram. And you can find more information about my wedding photography at Photography, also on Instagram. I hope you have the best dang day and we'll see you next time. Bye.